Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Diel, and today we have a very special guest. Michelle Sapressi is the mother of five, grandmother of five, and shares a nearly 60-acre mountainside rural property with her adult son and his partner, Mandy, her adult daughter, Alma, and a plethora of dogs and cats, not to mention bears, birds, and bumblebees. Her son, Andres, runs Frankia Fertilizers, a home-based business on their rural farm property that has been organically managed for over 30 years, many of those years operating as a certified organic farm. Frankia's fertilizers manufactures and distributes organic fertilizer and soil amendment products for building soil health and growing healthy plants. Michelle and her daughter Alma live on a property in the cutest little cottage called Forest House overlooking the Granby River surrounded by herbs like self-heal, yarrow, mullen, Oregon grapefruit, burdock, and the beautiful Canadian wild rose. Michelle enjoys cooking with herbs, growing potted herbs around her cottage and she treated all her children while they were growing up using herbs and home remedies. She continues to make home remedies such as elderberry syrup, fire cider, and various tea blends for wellness. I am excited to introduce you to my friend, Michelle. So Michelle, how long have you been building your homestead? Well, um, we actually purchased the property back in 1984, and it was basically just a raw piece of land, nothing there. And so during that time, we've gotten the infrastructure in place. We've got a, about a two-and-a-half-acre bottom field that we got all fenced in. That's where we uh, formerly had our organic farm. Um, and then up at the top, we have uh, a fenced-in orchard with uh, 30 trees. We've got a huge variety of apples, cherries, uh, plums, and pears in the orchard, as well as currently our garden space. Wow, that's, that's a lot of productivity. Were you selling at the farmer's market? Uh, we did, yeah. We sold at the farmer's market for some time. In addition to selling produce and uh, organic vegetables, I also um, made Mexican food and sold tamales. Oh, wow. <laughs> and burritos, wow. yeah, using, you know, natural natural products and herbs and things that we grow in our garden. So did you spend some time in Mexico then? I did, yeah. I actually cooked in a kitchen at a school that I was working uh, in back in the days. So, How yeah. fun. How fun. So Mexican cooking is spicy. Absolutely. And if I want the kids to come over, all I have to say is enchiladas. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Fun. You can invite me over anytime. Absolutely. Anytime. Some of my favorite food is Mexican food. You also grew all your own herbs for that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I had a wonderful herb garden. I mean, you know, times have changed. Children have grown up and I've started to work. And so now rather than sort of having a big exterior herb garden, I grow mo most of my herbs uh, just right around my cottage. The garden and orchard is now a distance from my home. And so what's happening now is my son, Andres, and his partner, Mandy, are now sort of taking over that space. And they're just you know, they've maintained it. When when we um, sort of reclaimed the property after years of just, you know, building uh, another business at the time, we just got a bit disconnected. And so we have since been rebuilding that space, securing it from bears. Uh, my son, Andres, and his partner, Mandy, got in there and yanked out all the, um, the roots that were growing in there. So it is now pristine, perfect, beautiful. They've just done such a great job. And so they are now growing their beautiful garden in there. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you mentioned uh, Frankia Fertilizers, but that isn't your first fertilizer business on your property. There was another one. Can you tell us about that? That's right. So my uh, former husband, Michael, uh, he uh, when we started the organic farm, he found that he could not get organic fertilizers. And so he started to bring them in for our farm and garden. And, uh, you know, at that time, he realized that obviously if he couldn't get it, other people couldn't get it either. And so that's how Guy Green Products was born. It was just a big uh, tarp with a bunch of organic fertilizers under it. Back in the day, people would drive up and, and grab a sack and take it away. And, you know, then we had a large warehouse that was built, which uh, Guy Green operated out of from about 19, about 1990 until um, 2018. And then Guy Green actually was sold to Green Star in Vancouver. And Michael went along with Guy Green and worked with Green Star. And then uh, my son is now operating Frankia Fertilizers out of the same warehouse based on a very similar recipe as to Guy Green. So, so you were actually like, you actually birthed Gaia Green. And Gaia Green's a label that probably a lot of us um, organic growers and gardeners recognize because it's in most of the hardware stores. It's now available throughout North America and has a very well-respected name. But you started it. Well, I mean, really, I should give credit to my husband. But I will say that I did draw the logo, the original logo design for the the, the beautiful wow. hearth maiden who's holding all of the produce, and I still have the original drawing in my file. <laughs> yeah. How fun. How yeah. fun. What a legacy. <laughs> and so Frankia Fertilizers is actually the child of Gaia Green. Absolutely. Um, but more of the family business and, and the, the care that goes on with taking personal responsibility for your product, which once a company goes international, that personal touch is lost. So that's awesome. What a legacy. Tell us a bit about Frankia Fertilizers. How do people get it? Is it available in stores or online or how? Yes, uh, there is an online. You just go to www.frankiafertilizers.com and there is an online purchase portal there. Um, you can also call. It's 250-444-3745. Um, there's another phone number on the website, but I know that is my son Andres's direct line. Okay. And you can also come right to the site. We're at 9150 and 9130 uh, Granby Road. That's my son's address and Frankie's address and mine in Grand Forks. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll make sure that gets into the show notes so people can see it. That's amazing. Now, you talked about you and your husband were divorced a number of years ago, and you still have the original property. I sure do. And then you went into the workforce. And I know for a while you were working four jobs. How on earth did you manage to grow your own food working four jobs? That That's like superwoman. Well, you know, at that time, I actually wasn't so much growing my own food. It was more being alert and aware to whatever I could possibly get my hands on locally and preserve it. So I would say I'm less of a gardener and far more of a cook and a preserver. And so, for example, I was standing in line at the um, recycling center and I had my phone, you know, it was a big long lineup and I went onto Facebook and someone said free crab apples. <laughs> right? So just right on uh, Market Avenue sitting in, in front of a business. And so I swung by and I got myself like six boxes of absolutely free crab apples and I went home 
and I juiced all of them. I mean, I was juicing for days and days and days, and I, I made juice, and I made jelly, and that became part of my Christmas gifting. And so that's very much an example. And even just about two weeks ago, I, I, I remember thinking in my brain, um, if someone offers me free food, I'm going to take it. <laughs> right? And then it was only hours after that that um, someone called me and said, I've got garlic scapes. And so, of course, I said yes and dehydrated them and, and made a garlic scape salt. So, yeah. That's, that's great. That's being open to opportunity and setting an intention. And the universe opened the door because that's, you set the intention. That's right. And then just foraging as well because where yeah. we live, we are so incredibly fortunate. We have wild elderberries here and Saskatoons. And so this year we have such a huge crop of Saskatoons. It's my plan to pick juice and make Saskatoon syrup, which will also be an excellent Christmas gift. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Saskatoons, um, they're one of the plants that I don't really like them raw as berries are kind of mealy. The wild ones, the commercial ones are different, but the wild ones are very mealy. But man, you put them into syrup or you put them into jam and they are phenomenally tasty. Exactly. Yeah. We we do have a lot of incredible wild herbs and wild food around us, and everybody does. We we visited Toronto a few years ago, and I went to, in the middle of the city of Toronto, I went to an empty lot and found medicinal herbs and food plants sitting in the middle of this gravelly lot. It was actually under a highway near the airport. Yeah, so really incredible. No matter where people live, there is wild food and wild medicinal herbs available. If you are ready to start on your herbal journey to get to know herbs and make your own medicine, I've got the perfect next step for you. My membership, the DIY Herb of the Month Club, will help you get to know your herbal allies by studying one herb at a time. And we make a game of it. You will go on a 30-day journey with an assignment to do every day that will only take you 10 or 15 minutes. You'll go on a monthly quest to build your confidence so that you can learn to rely on your herbal allies. You'll invest just 5 to 15 minutes a day of hands-on guided exercises to gain knowledge of each month's herbal ally. You'll also learn how to grow, forage, or find each month's herb. You'll study the historical context of the medicinal and or culinary uses of each herb. You'll create a personal Materia Medica for long-term reference. You'll also study the modern scientific studies and evaluate their methodology and conclusions. And you'll engage your senses both logically and intuitively to get to know each herb really, really well so that you can use it confidently. So stir up some recipes with me and start using your new herbal allies for focused hands-on learning inside the DIY Herb of the Month Club. So I hope you'll decide to join me. The link is in the show notes. And while you look at your notes, I will just talk just a bit about preparedness. And so for me, you know, I was home-based for many years. I worked, uh, I did the marketing uh, and the labels for Gaia Green. And then, of course, I entered the workforce and had, you know, many jobs in order to finance um, right. upgrading the property. You know, it cost 
um, $1,500 to upgrade the electrical. Um, I had to put up an electric fence to keep the bears out of the orchard and just all of those pieces, right? And, you right. know, here I'm so fortunate. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to have this property. And, you know, it comes with a big price tag. Right. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, I still have these these values of wanting to eat local, of wanting to make sure I have a full freezer and a full larder. And so I just had to sort of shift uh, the way that I made that happen. And one was just really being alert, like always in the fall when, you know, here in Grand Forks, we have so many people that have fruit trees. And so, right. you, yes. know, you know, if you've got half rotting, you know, plums in a box, I will take them yeah. <laughs> yeah. and juice them and, and, and sort them. And, and so that's one of the ways um, that I'm able to be busy and working yet still have a full larder of things that I've preserved to myself that are locally grown and are often organic. And a lot of the times when you're preserving something, it's it's not all hands-on. Like you can come home from work and you can like set the juicer going and then go do something else. Oh, and that's right. exactly it. Like I will come home. I, we, a few years ago, we had a huge bumper cherry crop and I literally would just come straight home from work, four o'clock, go pick for an hour and then just get the cherries into the juicer. And, you know, and sometimes, the, you know, the cherry juice might sit there until four o'clock the next day and I'll heat it back up and can it, right? So just right. doing things in little steps and and that's worked really well. I love that. It's it's very doable. Some people look at, oh, it's too much work and they never start. And it's the being able to manage your time so that you do the little pieces as you have time, but then leave and leave it and wait it. It's like when I used to milk the goats and make cheese. We would milk the goats, you'd make the cheese, but then the cheese would sit for two or three hours waiting for the next step. And you can get a lot done in between that. So people would say, oh, that's a lot of work, that goat cheese. And I'd go, well, not really, you know, because it's hurry up and then wait, hurry up and then wait. And so much of this whole natural food, doing, doing it yourself, is that hurry up, make that step, and then just wait. Yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, I just make it part of my day. I just build it into the day, and it just becomes part of my routine, right? As soon as I'm off work, it's it's cherry-picking time. <laughs> and and it's so fun, too, to connect with nature and and be outside doing the things you love. Absolutely. How much of your food then are you actually sourcing locally instead of like the grocery store? Um, I would say a fair amount. Um, I mean, I do get all um, my bulk items from Ohm Foods, which is Organic Matters, which is just in Nelson, um, not too far from here. And then I have a subscription with Settle Down Farms, which is um, a local farm here. And so that's where I get all of my fresh produce. I get my meat from Ed and Sharon Trainer, um, Edwards Acres. So, you know, I'll get like a quarter beef. And then I buy not all, but some of my meat at Jerseyland Farms. They have a small farm store there. Yep. Right. And, you know, my son and I did grow chickens. Like, you know, as soon as we sort of took ownership of the farm, you know, we had a bunch of homestead projects that we were doing. But what happened is, is the infrastructure wasn't really in place to support all of the projects. And so that was why we sort of shifted from production to infrastructure. And we're kind of now at the tail end 
of of that piece and that's why you know like even the first two years when we took ownership of the farm we didn't farm and garden because we had to fix the fences we had to get the trees pruned we had to get all the roots out he's now been producing in there I think this is his third year um and so same thing with the chickens we ended up um raising 75 meat birds we ended up with 50 uh, because we lost some in the huge heat wave. Right. But we didn't entirely lose them. What happened is I was working. It was really hot. I'm, of course, at work looking at the temperature going, oh, my gosh, I hope work is going to be over soon. And, you know, I hope my chickens are surviving. I get home. It's 4 o'clock, and there's a couple of dead chickens. There's a few chickens that are just super overheated. So I called my son, and he came up immediately. And we took all those birds. We processed them, and we pulled all the meat off. I dehydrated all of it, and then I had, like, two huge containers of the best dog treats you've ever, you know, and, and right. worth hundreds of dollars. Right, right? absolutely. What, yeah. A, yeah. what a great save for, <laughs> it for was. something that could have been a tragedy. It was a heroic save. We felt really great about it. The dogs loved the treats, and then we had the additional 50 chickens, which we processed. We saved all of the feet, which were also really great dog treats. And then I remember going over to the Blue Barn in Castlegar and seeing how much they charge for those chicken feet. And I felt pretty great wow. about that too. <laughs> that's, that is great. And that's, that's a great save for something that could have been just devastating. Yeah. And so since then, um, since we had bear problems on the property, the, the bear tore my chicken coop apart a couple of times the second time I had just bought a whole new flock, he got that flock. And so, you know, now it's just um, this year I've only seen one bear. So, you know, I think I'm getting very close to being able to to have a coop again and, and to raise chickens again. So it's That's just, great. You know, and, and, and the good news is, is that we did achieve that goal, right? Like we got, we made sure there was no garbage out. Very diligent um, on just, you know, keeping things keeping all the bear attractants away. And so I think I'm willing to invest in another flock here soon. That's good. You've, yeah. you've had some major bear problems. A few years ago, you had a bear at, enter your van and absolutely destroy it in the middle of the night, didn't you? I always lock my car now. <laughs> oh, your <laughs> car was that, unlocked? Yeah, it was my car. It was unlocked and the bear climbed in and the alarm went off at about 3.30 a.m. And I went out there and I... I I opened the door and there was a bear in the car. So I called my son who, who lives right next door to me and he, he came over with his gun and, and uh, he recorded it because he's a lot younger than me and he's smart and ended up recording the bear in the car, sold it to, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the, it's like a YouTube company that buys videos and he ended up you know, making a thousand bucks and wow, he donated donated it to some kind of bearware kind of group. <laughs> wow, yeah, we we do have bears around here. A lot of bears, bears and cougars and wolves. So it's a tough area, really, to homestead and try to raise your own food. So I applaud you for keeping going. That would make a lot of people quit, but you kept going. That's that's really amazing. So you've got grandchildren living on your property too? No, no, not the grandchildren aren't living on the property. Okay. Just my eldest son, Andres, and my youngest daughter, Alma, lives with me. So and Andres and Mandy all together. have their own place. And they are basically sort of what's happening now on the farm is, um, you know, I did some succession planning. I actually 
hired um, a farm succession coach who was really incredible, who was able to sort of help us, you know, figure out what pricing looks like, what transitioning looks like. So Mandy and Andres are taking over the main infrastructure of the farm. And so, um, and, and he's very productive. I mean, he makes his own sausage. He makes his own sushi. He, he brews all of his own cider. He might even make a great guest for your show because he is very prolific at, at what he produces and what he does. And, um, and so for me, I have the grandma cottage and so that's kind of what I'm building right now. And so my goal is to get my area fenced in. And that's where I'm going to have my gardens and all of just my sort of do-it-yourself infrastructure. You know, just a small little coop with a couple little birds. And then Mandy and Andres are now sort of, you know, managing and running all that other big infrastructure. Um, yeah. So so let's dial in a little bit more about that. So you're an older single woman. You do have your daughter living with you, but you are transitioning what you used to have energy for into something that you can manage as an older, mature woman with a smaller space. So what does that exactly look like? You talked to me before about zones, zone one, zone two. Can you describe that for our listeners? Absolutely. So even with um, my son actually just came with uh, with the tractor and flattened all the area around my house. Like it, it um, has 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 been um, very uneven and just needed. I needed to have that done before I could get the fencing done. And that's why I haven't landscaped or put too much in. We just don't want to leave anything out for the bears, right? So fencing's going in next. And I was actually going to fence just below the cabin. I'm on a, a hillside. And my son said, Mom, you got all this great big space right out back. This is your zone one. You are such a zone one person. And it's true. I'm very much, you know, I love to be in the house. Um, I love to be in the kitchen. That part is always easy. The The outside part is a little bit more of a challenge for me. Yet, I really do value and want to produce my own food. I want to have a garden. I want to have my tomatoes. And I do this year. It's just all potted, right? I've got tomatoes and cucumbers and, and herbs. and But it's just all potted up. Um but I want to have, you know, I want to have a nice garden and some raised beds. So just right around the house, um, that's the plan is to have my gardens. Yeah. So you're going to fence it. And then what's the next step? The next step is just going to be start landscaping, start putting raised beds in and uh, just, you know, making a decision. I'll probably, I've been seeing a lot of nice galvanized kind of steel with wood frames, beds. Mm-hmm. I, I do like everything to look really nice. So you know, I'll probably make something that's visually appealing yet that I can just go straight out the back door and pick lettuce. And with those raised beds, and I've seen those galvanized beds, they're quite high. So you don't have to bend over, which is great as you're getting older. I've kind of done similar thing. I I brought in some what are called veggie trugs. And they're they're cedar planters that are up high, waist high. We added three this year. Oh, cool. Um, I can still bend over. But who knows if I'll be able to in five years. And then I've also added some vertical planters. They're called Greenstock Vertical Gardens. And I've added uh, three of those this year, too. Um, not that I need them this year, but I'm planning for the future. That's right. And that I'll be, you know, also just doing some of that vertical gardening because it's it's not a hugely large space. But it really is large enough for me, right? It's right. just myself right. and Alma. Um, yeah. 
And you can grow an awful lot if you do succession planting. You can grow a lot in a small space. Exactly. And, you know, I'd like to have just, you know, small greenhouse, small chicken coop, just all very small yet very manageable for me. And, and as I'm designing and doing all this, I do have my son's assistance. It's fantastic. And I also want to make it manageable and maintainable for just myself That's so that I can, you know, continue to enjoy it and use it and... That's great planning yeah. ahead. Um, I'm sure there are listeners that are looking at that same thing, that they're getting older and they'd love to garden, but they don't even know where to start. What would you suggest would be a, a first step for someone that's similar to your situation where they're getting older and they want to garden, but it's it's too hard? Well, I think it's really important to look at what you have and what what you can do with what you have. Like I have a friend who lives in an apartment. Um, she formerly had a large garden and her tiny little balcony is just absolutely crammed full of plants. She we went down to, to Dollarama and, you know, purchased uh, whatever she could get to put plants in. And so she has a beautiful little garden. So I think it's almost always possible to do something. And if you are in an apartment, there's microgreens, right? right. There's almost always a way. Um, there's also, um, you know, indoor light systems and kits that look like furniture right. uh, that you can grow inside as well. So there's, if there's a will, there's a way. And I think it's just a matter of doing the research, um, joining some groups. I think that helps me a lot. Um, I know I'm a member of your do-it-yourself herbal fellowship and um, I get a lot of ideas, a lot of support. And so I think that's a second component is you know, finding a support group, whatever way works for you. There's lots of, you know, garden right. groups in town. There's lots of online groups. You can pose questions. I know I'm a member of uh, many of the local groups here, Kootenai Farm groups, and get lots of ideas that way too. That's a great idea. Community is so important when you're trying to support your family by growing it yourself. Absolutely. And I think also because the dominant culture is this, you know, fast fix, fast food, you know, we're so surrounded by that. So I think finding another narrative, the narrative that you want to be living by, finding that support um, helps to minimize um, some of the other messages. And, and that's really real for me because I grew up in um, the Bay Area. And it's, it's interesting because my grandparents were incredible gardeners. My grandfather, Felice Cipressi, was in the Napa newspaper many times for his huge, tall tomatoes. In fact, he was one of the first people that introduced me to herbs when he told me to squeeze a nettle plant. <laughs> and Nasty. That tells, that tells you a bit about Grandpa, right? I said, never do that again. <laughs> 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 okay, nettle. I know nettle now. <laughs> I still love nettle. Um, but my father, um, you know, after the war, being Italian um, was not a popular thing. And so as so many immigrants in the U.S. and Canada experience, we got disconnected from our cultural roots. Now, I did grow up at grandma and grandpa's and all the home cooked food, all the beautiful homegrown tomatoes and herbs and basil. Uh, but my father didn't keep that going because of just 
just just also in the 50s and the 60s, right? That was when we were kind of getting more into packaged foods and, 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 right. and, and you know, that becoming the value. And so... And your mother passed away when you were fairly, fairly young as well. That's so right. So your mom wasn't there to help with the influence. Exactly. And so I didn't really grow up with this other than my grandparents. My father was very much... I mean, he, he, he did cook, but... You know, I remember even just the the holiday turkey. He would he would put it out in the garage for the cats, which I mean, you know, I spend days on the holiday turkey carcass, right? Like, right. Yes. You know, making stock and making yes. up plates for later, and I use every single possible little scrap, right? But that wasn't how I grew up, and I can really only do that because I I have the support of of the groups, and so I have this new sort of vision of how I want my life to be, which is more of the traditional ways and and more of the do-it-yourself ways. That's amazing that you could grab something you didn't grow up with and and then form sort of a hybrid of the culture of your past, your grandfather, but also what you want out of life. That's wonderful. And I see um, a great deal of celebration in that for you. You know, my grandfather, Felice Cipressi, would be so proud of his great-grandson, Andres, because my son, Andres, who is the founder of Frankia Fertilizers, he is such a prolific gardener, fermenter, canner, dehydrator, sausage maker, sushi maker, um, cider maker, gingerbug maker. <laughs> Grandpa would be so proud. Yeah, I'm sure Grandpa would be so proud of you, too. <laughs> well, you know, Grandpa and I used to go um, to the coastline and collect mussels so we would forage together how yeah. fun how fun that's a great yeah memory. and we would just take a sea urchin crack it open and just take the meat out and eat it right there raw <laughs> yeah. okay yeah <laughs> okay that's beyond me <laughs> well and you know we would go we would go take those mussels back and, you know when I was staying there in the summertime and they would invite all their friends over and they would just have their whole table filled and they would have this mussel stew bottle of Chianti and lots of conversation and a big old chunk of Parmesan cheese. And yeah, it was, it was always a great celebration. <laughs> and, and I see you are emulating that in your lifestyle as well. That's, that's a great legacy. If growing some of your own food sounds like something you're ready to do right now, I've got the perfect next step for you. My Fill Your Salad Bowl workshop is a concise workshop that will show you how to grow enough greens to fill a salad bowl every day. That's a great first step, just to fill a salad bowl. It's not overwhelming and anyone can do it. You can do it even if you don't have any land, even if there's three feet of snow covering your garden, even if you've killed houseplants in the past, and even if you don't think you have a green thumb. Here's what we cover in this workshop. Now remember, it's a concise workshop. It's not gonna take a long time to go through, so everyone's gonna have enough time to do this. You'll learn three different salad green growing methods that you can implement right away. You'll learn the exact methods I use to keep my salad bowl full so I never run out, even if I have unexpected company. You'll also learn where to cut costs and still be successful growing salad greens at home. You'll learn the ideal equipment to use if you want to grow greens faster and easier the unique pitfalls to avoid with indoor and container growing. You'll learn how to save a crop that goes wrong. 
where to find organic seed at reasonable prices, how to store your seed so it stays viable for years so that you can save money now on bulk seed purchases. And you'll learn the health benefits of sprouts, microgreens, and healthy greens and how to optimize these benefits in the way you grow them and the way you store them. We'll also give you 17 ideas for using homegrown salad greens in the kitchen so they never get mundane. If you're ready to start growing some of your own food and you think salad greens are a great place to start like I do, check the link in the show notes. You're not working four jobs anymore. Instead, you're working one job and then you also have your own business. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing as your own business? You bet. So I am uh, a, a certified creative depth coach. Um, in the last few years, I've done a few certifications. One was um, with um, Journey Path Institute with Kat Caracello. Um, and then I also took my soul collage certification. I have been a soul collage practitioner for over 20 years. And basically what we're doing in creative depth coaching is um, we're sort of tuning into our own inner wisdom and our own intuition using um, images, art, collaging. And so I offer groups and also I do one-on-one counseling and coaching. And talk a bit about the... um the soul collage. What is that? So soul collage is really an amazing process. It was um, designed by Cena Frost, who was um, a therapist. And what it is, is you're making cards that represent different aspects of your own personality, um, as well as making cards for important um, people in your life. Like, like, like after this conversation today, I think I should make a card for Grandpa Felice Sapresi. <laughs> right. And, and what that does is it brings that influence into your life. Right. It's like, I, you know, if I look at that card of Grandpa, it gives me strength. It's like, you know, I want to grow, I want to grow tomatoes like Grandpa. Right. And so that is the value of it is you're collecting and you're gathering the influences that you want to be more powerful in your life. And so there's a few different different suits. There's animal suits, animal guides. Many cultures across the world have have made the connection between, you know, the benefits of connecting to the animal kingdom. And that's connecting to instinct. It's connecting to intuition. Um, I have a, a herbalist card, a forager card in my deck. Um, you so know. when you say make a card, you're doing like artwork. Yes. So you make your very own cards and they represent like the committee suit is aspects of your own, you know, parts of self. And so we all have, um, you know, like, for example, you and I are both mothers. So we might have a card for our mother self. I'm, I'm a herbalist uh, and a forager. So I have a card representing that. If you are a doctor or I have a working girl card um, and on my working girl card, you know, there's money, there's some nice things. There's a girl with, you know, a nice outfit and nice shoes. And that's part of what I gain from being a working girl is I, I have funds, you know, to, to bring nice things into my life. So yeah, so it's just a deck and it just helps to reflect back to us parts of our lives that we want to strengthen and move more deeply into. And it also just brings wisdom and depth and clarity. 
So so each one is like a celebration of an aspect of yourself. Exactly. Or part of your exactly. history that helps you tune into that appreciation more. Very for, much so. For yourself. Yeah. And that's, we don't make any cards awesome. for neg- negative parts. That doesn't mean we don't deal with it through this process, but it really is more um, inviting. Um, reinforcing. And reinforcing. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? You know, I do have a Facebook page. It's just uh, my just personal page is Michelle Suppressi. Come on over there. I also have Michelle Suppressi Creative, which is where I am posting about my coaching business. Um, and just FYI with coaching, um, creative depth coaching is very much a multimodal process, which is why I'm very much attracted to it. And I do use herbology in my coaching. So many people that do come see me do have, you know, um, so many people have stress. And right. so, you know, recommending um, Tulsi and uh, rose petal tea or recommending um, oat straw and horsetail, you know, that sort of thing. So that's also very much a part of of what I do in my coaching is is just, you know, wellness. It's really for women's wellness. Like, yeah. like holistic. Exactly. That's right. Speaking of rose petals, my roses, my apothecary roses are in bloom right now. And I am having so much fun, one, harvesting the petals, two, watching my honeybees just roll in the pollen. It's like, <laughs> it's like they, they approach the flower and then they just roll in it. They're so happy. I, was, I went out this morning to pick and there were honeybees already in and I walked away because I couldn't take that from them. Yeah. It was so fun. Oh, I can't wait to plant roses in my garden around my cottage. Yep. When, when you're ready, come and get some cuttings from me because the apothecary rose is just amazing. And it is actually the traditional rose that uh, herbalists used for centuries from Roman times. Oh, how exciting. For, for wellness. And I had to hunt it down. I got it from the Fraser Valley Rose Farm. Oh, and uh, I actually met them halfway with my plants. And it's, um, it, they're just amazing roses. Great for pollinators, great for herbal medicine, too. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Michelle. We'll make sure that your contact information is in the show notes so that people can connect with you. And I so appreciate that you came to share your story with our listeners today. It was a real pleasure to be here and always a pleasure to speak with you, Chris. And I just want to express my appreciation to you for your do-it-yourself herbal fellowship because I would say it is the most fundamental... um, foundational support for me in keeping up my do-it-yourself journey, even while working and even while busy. It has been um, what has really sort of kept me on the path. And so I'm very appreciative of that. Thank you. Thank you so much.